before we get into this segment and this teaching family, there used to be a song by these unsigned um, gospel rap artists, okay? And I'm going to, to spit a few bars of their lyric for you. And I think it is so perfect, okay, for this segment. Now, I met these uh, people, I don't remember what were their names, Soldiers of the Cross, or something like that. I met them when uh, I was in a Christian uh, church. Sorry, there was a brief interruption there. But anyway, so I met this group, okay, when I was going to New Season Christian Center under the leadership of Philip Bonanno. And uh, to my knowledge, unfortunately, the church has fallen apart because of adultery. So right now, I just want to reach out uh, in prayer for Bethsaida Bonanno. My heart is broken for you. When I heard the news, I cried. And, and, and I went to the heavens for judgment for the situation. I love you so much. I hope one day you hear this. Us sisters must stand together. Us daughters of Sarah, Bethsaida, I love you. And you deserved so much better than that. But anyway, so I met uh, this group when I was going to that church. And um, I, me and my son, my oldest son, we used to love the song that they sang. So he was like, was Christ really buried? Was there a chance that he really married Mary and fled over to France? Did they really find his bones with a fine tooth comb or did he walk out of the tomb to the throne? Was he God? Was he not? Was he alive when they dropped him in the tomb? Did he swoon? Was he moved? Was he removed by delusion and duels who refused to believe in the truth? Were they fools? Or were the disciples hallucinating? Was the truth evaded because they wanted to boost his ratings? Or did the Catholic Church in the Vatican work to keep in a bag of dirt under the rug? And, and uh, there were some more bars after that. And then here's the answer, okay, that they answered. They said, yes, he did arrive. Yes, he was alive. No, he never married, never had any wives. Yes, he did rise days after he died. What can I say? Yes, he is God. Rewind. Who was he? Yeah, okay. That leads us right into this next segment on the divinity and the carnation of Jesus Christ and or Yahushua Hamashiach after this praise break. Hallelujah. Um, and Yah willing family next Shabbat, Azure Victory Reed will be singing Praise Like Oil for our Shabbat service. Okay, so family, now you guys know that I have been listening to some of the teachers on WLC Radio, which is World Last Chance Radio, and they identify as members of Christendom, but they also understand uh, that we are to not be a part of any church, that we are not to be a part of the Babylonian system, uh, which is the church system here. Uh, in the world today, okay, they do understand the true name of the Father, they do understand the true nature of the Son, they actually just got revelation concerning this, and that is what I wanted to share with you guys today, so I don't care, I love these guys, they are uh, co-laborers in the faith, so kudos to them. You could be my friend, it don't matter if you black or white. Oh no, I just quoted Michael Jackson on Shabbat. Abba, forgive me. Let's get into this, please. Okay, guys. <laughs> With no further ado, here's WLC, World's Last Chance Radio, on the carnation of the Savior. 
Hallelujah. We pour out our praise unto you today, Abba Yah. in which a comparison is being drawn between Yahuwah and Yahushua or Yahuwah and false gods and it's just not possible to use only the Hebrew titles to convey the thought. Sometimes it will be necessary to use English equivalents in order to be clear. We're still going to be using the Father's and Son's personal names. Scripture does, after all, repeatedly urge us to call upon the name of the Lord, to call upon the name of Yahuwah. But the point of using the right words is to be able to communicate clearly. So, Dave, true nature of Christ, what can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that my lifelong understanding has been incorrect. Ouch! 
Yes, really. And I think a lot of Christians believe the way I've always believed, or at least a similar version of it. So let's start with what I used to believe. First, I was raised to believe in a triune Godhead with a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I believed they were all equal and all eternally coexisting. Well, yeah, me too. And any time I would ask questions about it, I was told it was a divine mystery, too profound for my puny human little mind to grasp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if, if it's a divine mystery, we're not supposed to ask. We're just mm. supposed to accept it by faith. Now, you see, I've got a problem with that, though. It contradicts what we know of Yahweh's modus operandi. And what do you mean by that, then, Dave? Well, as an example, let's just quickly turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Here, Yahweh is giving a promise, and he does it in the context of providing the believer with whatever evidence is necessary in order for the individual to understand. Could you just go ahead and read that for us once you've got it, please? Well, I've got it on my screen right here, and it says, Isaiah 1, 18. It says, Come now, and let us reason together, saith Yahweh. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Yah wants us to be able to comprehend eternal truths. He wants us to have a clear understanding of the science of salvation. So he is willing to provide all the proofs necessary in order to convict the heart. Mysticism is not heavenly truth. It's simply the way Satan obfuscates the truth. Now, to understand the true nature of Christ, we have to understand that there is no such thing as a triune Godhead. That comes from ancient paganism. You see, I remember when I was first studying this out, I was quite shocked. I mean, after all, we, we've got First John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 saying, quote, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Now, how could you argue with that? It's what the Bible says, Dave. <laughs> and then? Well, and then I learned that those verses don't exist in the most ancient manuscripts. In fact, they were added a thousand years later in the 11th century. Yeah, absolutely right. Incredible, yeah. isn't it? Centuries after the heresy yeah. of a trinity had become absorbed into Christian doctrine. Now, for those joining us for the first time, hearing this for the first time, we've got more information on our website dealing this absorption of pagan doctrine into Christianity. You can look for the article, Is the Trinity Biblical? We've also got some radio programs dedicated to the topic as well. Just go to worldslastchance.com and click on the WLC radio icon to listen to past radio episodes. In brief, though, Scripture says that there is only one true God, and that is Yahweh Elohim. Deuteronomy. Now, that's an interesting book. A lot of chapters are taken up with admonishments Moses gave the Israelites at the end of the wilderness wandering, just before his death and their entrance into Canaan. Deuteronomy chapter 6 reveals the true nature of the one true God. 
pilots, could you turn there for us, please, and start with verse 1. This is an important admonishment. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which Yahweh, your God, commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. So he's saying, remember this, it's important, don't forget it. Mm. Now, the very first thing they were to remember was the fact that there is only one true God, and that is Yahweh. Just read verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. He's not one-third of some mystical triune partnership. He is one. One, yeah. Now, at WLC, we've known this a while. What we haven't known is that there has been a holdover doctrine that we've been clinging to, and that is the doctrine of a pre-incarnate Christ. That's a, a leftover from the Trinity doctrine, isn't it? Yes. Now, think about it. The Trinity consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, right? Right. And what are they? Uh, well, partners. One would say equal partners. Yes. And as equal partners, they're equally eternal and equally coexisting, correct? Okay, um, I'm beginning to get it out. So, we know from Scripture that Yahweh is eternal and self-existent. Okay. I like Paul's description to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In describing Yah, he said, quote, Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting. If only Yahuwah has immortality underived from any other source, that means that Yahushua does not. I can see how an eternally coexistent God the Father and God the Son would lead to the assumption of a pre-incarnate Christ. I mean, to be consistent, he'd have to be, wouldn't he? Yes, of course. And yet, that's not what Scripture teaches. Yahushua was 100% fully human. Now, I'm just going to repeat that. For those who may think they misheard it, let it sink in. Yahushua was 100% fully and completely human. He was the only begotten son of God. He was not created, he was begotten. But he was human. He came into existence exactly as scripture says he did. Here, just have a look on this and read uh, Luke chapter 1, yep. verse 35. This here is Gabriel explaining it all to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That is when he came into existence, not before. Once you remove the presumption of an eternally coexisting triune Godhead and take scripture just as it reads, you see that there is not a single passage in the Bible that teaches either the pre-existence of Christ or that presents him as divine. Mm. You know, I've always found it interesting, Dave, that Yahushua's favourite way of referring to himself was as the Son of Man. He would have been justified in referring to himself as Yah's only begotten Son. He could have called himself uh, Prince of God, or even Messiah, but he didn't. He always referred to himself as the Son of Man. Yes, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It is, isn't it? In fact, I did some digging into this. Oh, yeah. In the Gospels, Yahushua is quoted as calling himself the Son of Man. You ready? 
everybody? 44 times. Wow. That's, that's a lot. I know, in four little gospels. Yeah. It is an interesting phrase, and it's also one that we don't use today. No, but, but it was a commonly used expression in Aramaic. It meant simply a human being. So every time Yahushua called himself the son of man, he was calling himself human being. Being, exactly. And again, he wasn't created, but he was begotten. The word begotten is used 13 times in the New Testament. Of those instances, eight times the word is used in direct reference to Yahushua being the only begotten son of Yah. So, what does it mean for the Saviour to be fully human? What does that look like in reality? It means that he had no inherited tendencies to sin. For example, people whose parents are alcoholics are much more likely to become alcoholics themselves, even if they were adopted as babies and raised in a completely different environment. Well, Yahuwah was Yahushua's father. Therefore, Yahushua had no inherited tendencies to sin. Now, see, I always thought he did. No, that wasn't the purpose of his birth. Just turn over there to Romans chapter 5, because there's sure. a passage there that explains this. Yahushua was the second Adam. He was born to conquer where the first Adam failed, as a human. He was to live a perfect life. And then, after his death, his righteousness could be imputed to us. Okay, let's read verses 12 to 19 of Romans chapter 5. Paul here explains this beautifully. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offence. For if by the one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offence resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offences resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. This is why the Messiah had to be fully human. Any percentage of divinity, and it wouldn't be fair. He wasn't wholly human and wholly divine. He wasn't divine at all. He was completely, totally human. And that's what makes his victory so complete. And because he lived a holy, sinless life, Yahweh could raise him from the dead. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But what is the gift of Yah? Eternal.
eternal life through Yahushua our Lord. Exactly. In other words, because Yahushua succeeded where the first Adam fell, Yahuwah can now declare righteous all those who, by faith, claim the merits of Yahushua's blood. Amen. Stay tuned, folks. When we return, Dave's going to tell us about where this heresy originated. I think you'll be quite surprised. We'll be right back. So, we've been talking about the true nature of Christ. He was holy human not divine. He did not exist from eternity past. He did not have a pre-incarnate existence. All that is a holdover from the heresy of a triune Godhead. Now, my question is this. Where did this whole concept come from? It's quite a leap from saying he was fully human to believing he was somehow fully human and then fully divine with a pre-incarnate existence. So, where did this come from? Who came up with the idea the Messiah was divine? Was it the early Christians? No. The earliest Christians, like the Jews before them, they were monotheistic in the purest sense of the word. They believed in a single, eternally self-existing creator God, and they knew that one true God was Yahweh. We also know that the various books which comprise the New Testament weren't written until a bit later, and none of the New Testament writers, certainly none of the Gospel writers, believed in a triune Godhead consisting of a God the Father, an equally coexisting God the Son, and a disembodied third person of the Godhead, namely God the Holy Spirit. Well, Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is something of a, a misnomer, isn't it, really? That the original Greek, like the Hebrew before it, just said breath. Right. Yahuwah's breath, that active agent that gives voice to his thoughts, ruach as it is in Hebrew. And we know from Isaiah chapter 55 that the word of Yah itself contains the power to do what it says. Psalm 33 verse 6. By the word of Yah were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That's his breath, his spirit, not some disembodied third person of some mystical godhead. However, it was the acceptance of the doctrine of the Trinity that created an environment in which it appeared logical for Christ to have existed prior to his birth. Hmm. So, you're not saying it was a belief adopted from paganism then? Not that I've ever read, no. Right. Uh, nor did all the thought leaders of the day sit down over a bowl of, well, whatever they had then, pottage, porridge, I don't know, lentil yeah. pottage, let's say, and decide, hey, how far can we go? What new way can we pervert the truth? No, but when they embraced the pagan idea of a triune godhead, it created an entirely new theological environment. All right, so where did the idea come from then? Are you ready for this? Gnosticism. What? Gnosticism. 
didn't didn't Gnostics have some weird belief that uh, Yahuwah wasn't really the creator, that someone else created the world instead? The universe, actually. Yes, Gnostics believed that an evil, lesser god called a demiurge had created the universe. And because the demiurge was evil, consequently all matter was evil too. And this led to the belief that Yahuwah was entirely separate from creation. Well, yeah, if you're going to assume an evil entity created everything, then it would be natural to conclude that Yah, who is holy, would be separate from everything evil. Faulty premises lead to faulty conclusions. And that's exactly what happened here, yes. Yeah. Now, I've got a quote here that I'd like you to read for us. Now, this is from an article entitled, Jesus Christ, Incarnated or Created? So, could you just have a look at that? There it is. I just, yeah. It's just down there. Can you see where it's marked? Oh, it's, yeah, yes, marked. Okay. As the subtle influence of Gnostic doctrine infiltrated the church, early church leaders and teachers began to accept the idea that for Christ to have been the Redeemer, it was necessary for him to transcend creation, that is, be an uncreated being, part of an eternal Godhead. Their reasoning was that creation could not be redeemed by a creature, but only by God himself. Like you said, a faulty premise will inevitably lead to a faulty conclusion. They had to elevate the Messiah to the level of Yah and then separate him from creation as well. That's what it means to say they thought it was necessary for him to transcend creation. Yeah, to transcend is to be greater than something, to exist above and independent of the material universe. You can see how one assumption leads to the other one now, can't you? Well, yeah, exactly. Now, if God the Father were transcendent, if he were separate and above the material world, it would be reasonable to conclude that God the Son had to be as well. Now, this in turn led to the belief that for Yahushua to actually be the Messiah, he would also have had to transcend creation because creation itself could not be redeemed by a mere creature. And this is what laid the foundation for the development of the belief that Yahushua was, quote, God incarnate in human flesh. It's really brought mysticism into the gospel, didn't it? I mean, the power of the gospel is that Yah loved the world, you and me, so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel right there. Absolutely, yes. Satan himself masterminded this error. Belief in a pre-existing God the Son diminishes the full force of the gospel. It shifts the focus from the Saviour's resurrection to his assumed pre-existence. Mm -hmm. The death and resurrection of Christ is the central theme of the gospel because his resurrection is the greatest confirmation that Yahushua was indeed the true Messiah. And now, having overcome and been resurrected, Yah can impute Christ's righteousness to us. It's an incredibly beautiful transaction of grace. Christ's resurrection is our assurance that his death was accepted in our place. Because, obviously, without a sinless life, he could not have been resurrected. Would you turn for us, please, to Romans chapter 6? And there's a passage here that really explains this whole concept really well. It's okay. Romans chapter 6, and it's verses 5 to 11. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection 
knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to Yah. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to Yah in Christ Yahushua our Lord. Again, Christ's resurrection is what assures us that his sacrifice was acceptable. It's proof that even in the secret thoughts of his heart, he was sinless. A divine son of God who shared an eternal pre-existence with the Father creates distance between us and the Saviour. Of course. How is that even relatable? Okay, we've said what he's not. Let's now talk about what he is. Trinitarians teach Yahushua is 100% fully divine, while at the same time 100% fully human. Another divine mystery, inverted commas, we can't understand. We're just supposed to accept it, Dave. Adam's fall had to be redeemed by a human being, not some divine human hybrid, but a true human being. Only by being truly human could Yahushua demonstrate in his own life the power of divine strength. That Yah is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto him. I can see that if the Saviour were 100% divine, even if he were capable of also being 100% human, he would have had an advantage. One none of us can duplicate. Think of it in terms of a trial. In court, a witness gives testimony which the court accepts as evidence or proof. Yahushua's sinless life as a human being is Yahuwah's testimony that the divine law can be kept. What do you mean? I'm not following you. Well, let's look at this a different way. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Here, Paul refers to Yahuwah as the ultimate saviour who testifies that the man, Yahushua, fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Now you've got it there, haven't you? So could yes, you just read verses 3 to 6, please? All right. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 3 to 6 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Yahushua, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The only begotten son of Yah had to be fully human if he were to redeem mankind where Adam fell. He had to be fully human for Yahuwah to testify that his sacrifice was sufficient. Only if the Messiah were completely human could he demonstrate that divine mercy is sufficient for even the lowest and most depraved sinner. He wasn't transcendent. He couldn't be and still be our Redeemer. And the beautiful thing is, by faith, his victories are ours. This is the beauty and the power of the gospel message that Satan attempted to hide with the Gnostic doctrine of a pre-incarnate Christ. What about scripture passages referring to a coming Messiah then? Okay, what about them? Well, wouldn't they indicate his divinity then? There are a lot of Old Testament passages that predict a coming Messiah. 
However, when you go back and read them in context, do you know not a single one claims the Messiah was already in existence or that he was in any way divine? But what about the promise to Abraham then? Uh, Genesis 22 verse 18, it says, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Okay, well let's take a look at that. Now clearly this is a prophecy of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Paul confirmed in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 that this prophecy was referring to the Messiah. Now I've got that here and it says, quote, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. Yahushua himself said the prophecy to Abraham was about himself. Read John chapter 8, verse 56. Okay, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Yahushua himself never claimed to be divine. No, he really didn't, did he? In fact, he was all the time referring to himself as the son of man, which sounds kind of weird, son of man. But it does emphasize his humanity, though, doesn't it? And like we said earlier, the phrase itself was a common expression in Aramaic. It was the equivalent of human being, as we'd say. Yeah, so every time he referred to himself as the Son of Man, he really was underscoring that he was human, wasn't he? Exactly. Now, with this understanding, I'd like you to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Okay. This has actually always been a favorite passage of mine, even when I thought Yahushua was divine. But now, with the knowledge that he was entirely human, it has so much more meaning. Hebrews 4, you say, yeah? Yes, verses 14 to 16. 16, okay. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Yahushua, the son of Yah, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yahweh knew that only a human, perfectly surrendered to his will, could redeem the race from Adam's sin. Yahushua is the only begotten son of Yah, yes, but he is also that perfect human. He's not gathering dust on some celestial pedestal, too removed from human reality to understand our struggles. Yahushua understands our struggles precisely because he is fully human too. You can see why Satan tried to hide this truth. It's so powerful, Dave. The truly exciting thing is that now, with this single victory, Yah can impute the merits of Christ's righteousness to us. That's justification. We use justification and righteousness as though they are two separate words, but really, they're inextricably linked. Justification is to be declared righteous. And we stand before Yah as though we had never sinned. This is a transaction of grace that then produces a transformation of grace. Reminds me of my all-time favorite passage of scripture. It's Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. And it says, What shall we then say to these things? If Yahweh before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? 
Yahushua, the only begotten son of Yah, was born fully human. He wasn't transcendent. He wasn't divine and eternally coexistent with the Father. He was a human, and as a human, he redeemed Adam's fall. After living a sinless life and being crucified, Yah raised him to life again. By faith, his victories are ours. This is the beauty and the power of the gospel message that Satan attempted to conceal with the Gnostic doctrine of a pre-incarnate Christ. Stay tuned, folks. Our Daily Mailbag is next, and we've got an interesting question that kind of tangentially goes along with our topic today. You'll see. You'll see. We'll be right back. You are listening to World's Last Chance Radio on WBCQ at 93.30 kilohertz on the 31-meter band. World's Last Chance Radio, preparing a people for the Savior's soon return. The most powerful principle in Scripture is also the least known. However, this principle is the key to accessing limitless divine power. If you missed this episode on WLC Radio, it's not too late. Just go to our website, worldslastchance.com, and click on the WLC Radio icon. Look for the program entitled, Learn How to Access Divine Power. You can also listen to it on YouTube. Mateo Silva Torres from Chile sent us a question. Did you know the oldest mummy ever found is not Egyptian, it's Chilean? Really? No, I I can honestly say, Miles, hand on heart, I did not know that. Yeah, apparently so. Egyptians saved mummification for just their most important people. Uh, But the... And family, um, before I fully and completely close, I want to share this with you, okay? So, many of you refer to Jesus Christ as God, the Son of God. I do not. He is not God. Yahushua Hamashiach, the one who came in the name of the Father, is not God either. Yahuwah Elohim, Yahuwah Elohaika, sent his promise to the earth, sent redemption to the earth through the perfect human being, Yahushua HaMashiach, Miriam's son, who kept all of the laws, the statutes, and the commandments of Yahuwah unto death. And because of his death, he was raised to glory and honor. So now you guys are going to hear um, a podcast coming up from WLC Radio. I do not agree with everything that they say. These people are just now getting revelation that they had never had before, okay? So they're very close. But I will say this. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with Elohim. Yahuwah is the father of Yahushua, the living Word. And all of that getting, get understanding and pray for revelation. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Pray for discernment always and believe nothing without proper studying 
to show yourself approved of Yahuwah, a workman who does not have to be ashamed because he or she is able to properly divide the word of truth. And when we say divide, we do not mean separate, take to pieces, or, or, or break it down into smaller portions. What we mean by divide the word of truth is literally understand it piece by piece. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Your holy name. We 